Hello, dear listener, and thank you for joining us here at the Northern Security Chronicles. I am VR Doc, your host. In this series, we will discuss, dissect, and develop all things related to securing one of the last frontiers of our homeland, the North. In this episode, we dissect how perceptions resulted in a bias by a group of people known as the intelligence community, who pretty much said, nothing happening up in the Arctic. Another group, using science and data, managed to reveal a pattern of what essentially looks like irregular warfare, while the delta between these two perceptions is pretty big. In our last episode, we talked about perceptions and how they shape the world. And we talked about how our perception of the Arctic shaped the way we view security there. Of course, for many of you, you might think, what's the point? Why bother with security in the Arctic? Well, before we answer that question, we need to talk about the many Arctics. The Arctic is different things to different people. For scientists, it is a place to do research, primarily on climate change, on permafrost, on sea ice, and of all those things, cryo or cold. For other scientists, it's a place to look at how adaptation occurs, how ecologies change, and for social scientists, how communities and cultures evolve over time and deal with modernization globalization, and the many changes that face humans in general. To the private sector, the Arctic on and off represents a vast treasure of resources, fish, oil, gas, minerals, rare earths. For politicians, the Arctic is a double-edged sword, a place where sustainability must promote growth in economies where the needs of many are spread across a vast landscape, where infrastructure must be built and maintained, and where subsidies must be acquired in order to ensure that all of the above proceeds without a hitch. For the Arctic, it is a juxtaposition, independence, and yet a dependency on resources from the outside. For the indigenous peoples of the Arctic, it is simply home. Where the Arctic is both new and old is when we talk about security. Security is often relegated to the geopolitics of the region, what amounts to essentially the endless admiration of a range of problems and the endless speculation of what the future might hold. Almost all of this is opinion, and very little of this is based in actual data. Here in Arctic security, we see once again a terrible separation of rigorous science from the science of security. As you will remember, we construct the world based on perception. The fact is that Arctic security is mostly opinion. 
So why is it this way? We don't have a science of security, and the science of security we do have, again, is really a construct of the world based primarily in discussion and opinion. So for those of you who are offended right now, hang on. I need to introduce you to a few terms for us to fully dissect this part of Arctic security. The first term is something called the intelligence community. Loosely, this is a group of people, tens of thousands of them, in Canada and the United States and really around the world, who analyze a whole range of information. Some of this information even counts as data. Some of this information is really a hint or a thought. Collectively, the intelligence community is, in theory, supposed to be our insights into threats that we need to pay attention to, things that we may need to respond to, proactiveness that prevents us from being in a reactive situation. However, the intelligence community is really a group of humans. And since humans construct the world based on perception, in lieu of rigorous scientific training, the intelligence community is fairly vulnerable to bias. It is this bias that has resulted in a blindness to any threats in the Arctic. Recently, a group of individuals used science and data working with individuals who are at the front lines of Arctic security, those people on the ground. When their analysis was complete, the results were shocking. So this leads us to another term, great power competition. This is another buzzword that governments and scholars use on a regular basis, but in a nutshell, it means that nations are working with or against each other at different levels to try and acquire the most resources or the upper hand on another nation by whatever means necessary. In Alaska, the Alaska State Troopers have for years seen the front lines of what's happening on the ground. But the intelligence community asserted, there is no problem, all quiet on the Arctic front, nothing to see here, folks. However, the results from the science and the analysis that was done suggested otherwise. Well, you can imagine how that went over. If you guessed not very well, you're absolutely right. It didn't. What it did do is force us to think about Arctic security a little differently. Instead of ravening hordes coming over the horizon or the need for more icebreakers to plow the seas, we started to think of Arctic security more akin to a regular warfare. This went from not going over so well to completely turning the way we think about Arctic security on its head, which made for a lot of grumpy people and a lot of hate mail. The intelligence community does not like to be wrong. And in this case, 
Their assumptions were challenged. Irregular warfare, you say? How's this possible? It's really not that difficult if you think about it. Our laws and policies were written for a world that has passed us by. Our perceptions haven't changed as rapidly as the world has. And so there are lots of gray spaces in those laws and policies. So what looks like irregular warfare is really a more or less legal way of using those gray spaces, those gaps and seams in where we see and where we listen and where our laws and policies apply and why security in the Arctic matters so much. We're not entirely blind in the Arctic, but we're looking through cloudy lenses. It's a vast area to cover, and no technology will cover it the way we need. This brings us full circle to our discussions of perception and the way we make decisions. Increasingly, we have relied on technology to help us make decisions. The trade-off for doing this means that our delta, that difference between perception and reality, has grown faster than we can close it. In the Arctic, especially, we need the eyes and ears of the people living there. We need to turn to the people who live and work in the Arctic to truly get a sense of a pulse of Arctic security. So bringing us back to why security matters, we need to understand what the problem is first before we decide how we're going to address it, how we're going to ensure that the North is secure. We see it in the news every day, the Coast Guard wanting new icebreakers, some of them armed, more facilities, more research, more money for radars and underwater autonomous vehicles, more technology. But technology has not been our friend in the past the way we perceive it to be. Human perceptions are difficult to break. And even though tools and technologies working together with human capabilities, local place-based knowledge, and the ability to get eyes and ears on the ground to truly understand what the threats are in the Arctic has been developed. They weren't shiny enough. So we're back to the fact that we don't really know what we're doing in the Arctic. We are scrambling to build new icebreakers or to get more facilities, but we don't really know what for. Going back to the unfortunate group of scientists that was able to detect a signal of irregular warfare in the Arctic. What if we used science to figure out what the problem was and not debate opinions, not admire the problem for another few years and not let great power competition get the better of us? This would require not only perceptions to change, but also the way the intelligence community does business, working more closely with those in the field. And the last term I will leave you with, operators. 
The operators on the ground can be law enforcement, they could be fishermen, merchant marines, native hunters, whalers, a number of people who live, work, and breathe Arctic every day. It would also require us to rethink those policies and those laws which were created a long time ago when the world was different and we were calibrated for other threats. While we were looking in one direction, under the wire, literally under the radar, so to speak, the Arctic changed and the threats in the Arctic changed with them. So Arctic security matters because the Arctic is America's back door and our back door is wide open. So how do we secure this door that's essentially wide open and unguarded? Again, what if we worked as a collaborative? What if we used a science framework instead of one based on opinion and admiration? What if we worked with operators on the ground to be our eyes and ears? Because let's face it, nobody in their right mind is going to go up against an opponent where they are strongest. Instead, they will find our blind spots, our weak points, places where they can literally go unseen and under the radar. This applies both to physically having their feet dry on American or Canadian soil, as well as running in between those seams of law and policy that allow our adversaries to simply legally acquire the information needed to gain the upper hand. In order to secure our back door, we will need to recalibrate our entire way of collecting information, of analyzing information, and of interpreting information. We will need to rely on technology less, and we will need to change the way we train the intelligence community and bring a science of security and a science of defense. We will need to pay more attention to the operators on the ground. People such as law enforcement officers who see things on a day-to-day -day basis, who see the single events that on their own are nothing much but, in aggregate, reveal the patterns we so desperately need before we can advance a blueprint for Arctic security. The tools are there. They've been developed. They may not be shiny, but they work. In this case, it is not so much about the capabilities to do this as it is about the perceptions primarily of the intelligence community and the willingness of policymakers to embrace an Arctic that is unfamiliar and, until now, has never been seen. In this episode, 
we talked about how revealing a pattern of threat in the Arctic means that we need to rethink security. In our next episode, we'll talk about how, as we rethink Arctic security and defense, it brings it closer to home for most Americans. And as a result, we'll talk about how the rush to the Arctic means that it's getting pretty crowded up here. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us here at the Northern Security Chronicles. As our series continues, we will discuss, dissect, and develop all things related to securing one of the last frontiers of our homeland, the North. I am VR Doc, your host, I. This podcast of the Northern Security Chronicles is copyright 2019 by Quadrant Analytics, LLC, and distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, CC by NC and D 4.0. Listeners may share, copy, and redistribute the material in any medium or format. However, derivative materials are prohibited without prior approval of Quadrant Analytics, LLC. See www.quadrantanalyticsllc.com for contact details. Music and effects are used under license from audioblocks.com. Thank you for listening.